Today, if you would turn to Jonah, it's on page 773 in my Bible, right after Obadiah, back there with Nahum and Habakkuk and all those very famous uh, books of the Bible. So, uh, Jonah, we have, we, the first week we uh, covered verse 1, the second week we covered verse 2. This week we're really going to blaze a path. We're really going to burn it up. I think we might get through verse 4. But no, I think we're going to, we're going to look at the remainder of chapter 1 here. So uh, I, heard a, I heard a story as I, I, uh, I read a lot, to try to read a lot to prepare. I kind of see myself as a chef and I just try to go get good ingredients to come up here and prepare a, a meal for you guys each week. And I was reading, I read a story about um, a, a, a young lady who was in a, a college religious literature class, and the the professor uh, was not a was not a believer, and uh, asked the class, you know, uh, does anyone here actually believe that 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 Jonah was real, that he was swallowed by a fish, that all that stuff? And she said, the little girl bravely raised her hand, and young girl said, I do. And he says, you seriously believe that that Jonah was swallowed by a whale and lived in the side of a fish for three days, and that the fish spit him out, and you believe that? And she said, no, I, I believe all of it. I believe all of it's true. So the professor said, well, what kind of fish swallowed him? And she says, I, I don't know, but, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And the, 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 the professor replied and said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? And she said, then you ask him. <laughs> anyway, anyway... Anyway, so, my point in sharing that is, we've said it before, don't fall in the trap of feeling like you need to help the, Bible, help the Word of God out. And what I mean by that is, if you, if you study Jonah, there's going to be a lot of books out there that try to make it a parable. They feel like, hey, it's more palatable, it's more believable if we call it a parable. It's more believable if we, if we call it a story. Well, whether it was true or not, teaches good principles. It's not here to teach good principles. Jesus didn't treat it as a parable. We don't need to treat it as a parable. Parables do not have specific people. They don't name specific places. This breaks all the rules of the parable. This is a true story. It is a factual account. It's not about it's not about a Jonah. It's not a book about a fish. This is a book about a phenomenal God who loves his creation. It is it's not it's not this is not and we've said it before this isn't even the hardest thing for me. Believing this book is true, that's not even the most difficult thing I'm faced with believing in the Bible. There are other things in here that I have a heart that I may in my flesh have a harder time believing than this. And today as we as we draw out uh, try to draw out for you what what I believe this book is teaching us I I, I I have one one main principle, and then then there's some other sub truths that I want us to learn. But 
But please, as we've seen it, grasp the heart of God. God is revealing Himself. He is revealing His heart here. He's revealing Himself in phenomenal ways. And and I'm trying my best to be very focused and succinct in in what we teach. And and today there's but one principle, and, and it's regarding how do we treat the Word of God. How do we treat the Word of God? I want to ask you a question. What if... How seriously do you, just don't answer out loud, please, just think these through. How seriously do you expect your spouse to treat or to regard or to consider their vows? Was what was said at the altar when you got married, was it just something to go through? Was it something just to hurry through to get on with it because you had to or was it serious? Was it meaningful? Did they mean something? How would it make you feel if your spouse just said, I just said what I needed to say. I just did what I needed to do. I really, I really don't even know what I vowed. I really don't even know what I said. What if, what if, what if a spouse... What if your spouse just ignored one of the vows? Was very good at, at, at following all of the vows but they just chose to ignore one of the vows. Would that be acceptable? Would you be okay with that? If they just said, you know what, I'm okay with all this for better or worse stuff, but the poorer part, I'm out. What if they just said, you know what, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dealing with that vow. That wouldn't be acceptable. And let me ask you this. How many people or who is affected by whether or not you honor your word? Think about, think about the ramifications for you not honoring your vows. For you not honoring your word. And, and, and that's kind of what we have here with Jonah. God has given Jonah his word. He's given Jonah a command. He's revealed himself. We, we said a couple weeks ago that God's commands, they reveal his character. God is revealing who he is here. And Jonah simply turns his back and ignores it. And really, and goes the complete opposite way. And, and it has tremendous uh, consequences. Tremendous impact on everyone. And in the same way, when, when we as spouses do not honor our vows, when we turn our back on our vows, the consequences of that go way beyond just you and your spouse. The consequences of believers who turn their back on God's Word, who treat God's Word lightly, who pick and choose what they're going to obey and what they're not, who pick and choose any of those, has tremendous consequences, not only on your life as an individual believer, but on all those believers around you. We're one body. And when we treat the Word of God lightly, there will be consequences. And Jonah teaches us that. God is teaching us through Jonah. When we treat the Word of God lightly, there will be consequences. Not only in our own lives, but in all those around us. And we see this over and over and over in Scripture. Look with me at verse 3 of Jonah, chapter 1. But Jonah... Well, let's just start in verse 1 just to have fun here. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise... Go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But, 
when you're studying the Word of God and you see the word but, just know that things are not, there, there's a change. That's a big word. Huge, huge doors swing on that little word right there. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship, was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go to them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. The Lord, hur- the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, and the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. Isn't that interesting? The one who had brought all this upon everyone else is sound asleep. Sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it you are sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so maybe learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Surprise. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account was this cal- has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Not enough to fear Him, not enough to obey Him, but I fear Him now. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to Him, How could you do this? For the men knew that He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because He had told them. So they said to Him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this storm has come upon you. You see the consequences of disobedience to the word? However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to follow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. We, we not only see in the life of Jonah that disobedience to the Word, treating the Word lightly, regarding the Word lightly, has great consequences on those around us. We see that in Jonah's life. We also see that in Israel. Think about, think about Israel's history as a cycle of disobedience, punishment, repentance, restoration. Disobedience, not only for Israel, but for all those nations around them. When God's people turn their back on the Word of God, treat the Word lightly, the consequences go way beyond just that person. You see it in David and Goliath. God had told them, Israel, I will deal with the Philistines. Goliath was a Philistine. They should have known God is going to take this. God is going to deal with this. And they didn't trust. They didn't trust Him. But there was one man, David who had a high regard for God's Word and said, hey, you're not going to talk about my God like that. And he went and fought. He trusted the Lord. The twelve spies go to the... God told them, this is your land. They send twelve spies in. Ten come back with a bad report. Two come back with a good report. Two trusted. Ten don't. 
Guess what? An entire generation died in the wilderness. Every man 20 years and older died in the wilderness because they did not trust the Word of the Lord. They didn't trust. God had told them the land is yours. We, we see it in Jonah, as I said. Jonah, Jonah's very existence as a prophet was to bring the people the Word of God. That was his very existence. What, what Jonah is called to do here should have been to the highest honor. He could, have been a, he could not be afforded a greater honor. Many of the prophets you read about in the, the Word of God, they were doom and gloom. They were called to take... But he's saying, no, go and ha- they'll repent. Go and preach. It, it, their entire existence was built around the Word of God. Very, I mean, this should have been a privilege, but yet Jonah ran from the privilege. Because why? We saw last week, Jonah had a heart problem. And Jonah's heart problem was shown to be indicative of the nation of Israel that had a heart problem. But also, I believe God in His grace is talking to us that some of us here today, we may have a heart problem. Because we see this in ourselves as well. I'm sure there's been times in your life, you may be even sitting here right now, Suffering not only because of your own sin, paying the consequences not only of your own sin, but because of the sin of others. You personally may be walking through that. Your loved one may be personally walking through that. When we treat the Word of God lightly individually, there are consequences. There are consequences far beyond just ourselves. Mom, Dad, when you, when you don't lead as you should, when you don't do the things God has commanded in your home, there are consequences for your home. Son, daughter, when you don't follow your parents, as the Bible says, there are consequences for your home and beyond. Employer, employee, consequences. All of it is, all of it is spelled out. God in His love has given us wisdom. When, 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 we don't, when we disobey, there are consequences way beyond just us. Way beyond just us. And and what we see in this text is this. We never sin in isolation. We never sin in isolation. What you do in private, it's not just staying private. It affects public. What's going on in your heart will come out in your behavior. What's going on in your head will come out in your behavior and it will affect not only you, but it will affect others. Look, look at Exodus 20, verses 4 and 6. They'll come up on the screen here. God is giving the Ten Commandments here. He says, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. In Deuteronomy 5, he says the same thing. Our, the, my sin, my, my disregard for the Word of God will carry on to future generations if I'm not careful. Bradley will mimic me. Sarah Grace will mimic me. The reality is, Mom, Dad, we are teaching our children every single day and we're teaching those around us who God is, what He is like, what He demands, His character. We can either teach them devotion to Christ or we can teach them devotion to something else. 
That's the reality. And, and they're going to grow up looking more than you realize. And some of us are at that point where we say, I am more like my mother and I'm more like my father than I ever thought I would imagine I would be. For better or worse. Hopefully for the better. But the reality is this, we, we die because of our own sin, but we suffer because of our own sin and the sins of others. And the greatest gift that you and I can give to one another is a close walk with God. It will impact us and it will impact every single person around us. A pursuit of personal holiness, a pursuit of, of, of aggressively ridding ourselves of known sin not coddling them, not playing with them. Jonah has a heart problem, and instead of dealing with it, he runs. He just runs. It's like I was reminded, it's like being on a flight. We, we flew, uh, many of us, we flew to Manaus and, and went on a mission trip a couple weeks ago to Brazil, and they're doing the thing, and I, I just, part of me is just like, I don't even want to watch those videos where they say, in the case of emergency, there's going to be an oxygen mask that falls out. from. I'm like, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to know about it. But what do they say? In case of an emergency, oxygen mask is going to fall from the sky. Who do they say to put the mask on first? Yourself. Why? Because you're not good to anyone else if you're dead. You need to be breathing. You need to be alive. You need to be taking the air that's there. In the same way, mom, dad, brother, sister, sibling, child... Your pursuit of personal holiness is what the rest of your family needs. What they need more is a mom or a dad who are chasing after the Lord. Mom, dad, what they, kids, what they want is a son or daughter who are following them and chasing after the Lord. We become detrimental to those around us when we do not walk closely with God. We see it right here in Jonah. For I know, verse 12, for I know that on account of me this storm has come upon you. You know why those other sailors were suffering? Jonah's sin. Jonah's refusal to submit, to repent. And when we have a casual attitude toward the Word of God, when we refuse to submit to the Word of God, it has effects on everyone around us. My walk and your walk has dramatic effects on every single person around you. Dramatic effects. And you see both the good, their good effects, and bad effects. You look at 1 Peter 3, 7. He says, if any of you who has a wife and refuses to live with them in an understanding way, it says what? Your prayers will be hindered. A husband who refuses to live with his wife in an understanding way, God says, don't, don't, don't pray like you think everything's fine. It's not. Dramatic effects. For the negative. But look with me at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. That, that's the negative. Here's the positive. Look at what it says here. It talks about a, 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 a man or a woman who had an unbelieving husband. Or, and, and he says in verse 14, For the unbelieving husband, he, sa- he tells the woman and the man, If you have an unbelieving husband or an unbelieving wife, 
and they consent to live with you, don't put them out. Look at what it says in verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. And then he goes on. For how do you know, verse 16, a wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, a husband, whether you will save your wife? Here's the point. They're not saved through your salvation, but what that passage is saying is the overflow of blessings that come to you as a believer, as a follower, trickle down and they get those too. Just like over here, sin, when we sin and don't deal with it, they get the negative. Over here, when we pursue holiness, you get the blessing and they get the, they get the overflow of that too. And in Jonah's case, they're getting the negative. God offered the blessing. Go to Nineveh. Ask them to repent. They're going to be, they'll, they'll repent. Huge blessing there. Jonah says, no, I'm not going. So guess what people around him got? The negative. They got to suffer. So my question for us is, what are those around you experiencing? Are, are, there, are others around you receiving the blessing of a life that is pursuing holiness? Are they receiving the fruit of a life that's pursuing self and pursuing the world? What are, what are, what are people around you experiencing? Are you a conduit of blessing? Or are you a conduit, a conduit of suffering? Look, look with me at Galatians 5.9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. What he's saying there is we impact those around us for better or worse. We're body. We're one body. You know, you don't just have cancer in your foot and, and just say, well, it's just in my little toe. I'm not going to deal with it. Why? Because it affects the whole body. You deal with it. Sin affects the whole body. And, and what Jonah is teaching us here is just that, that my pursuit of the Lord, my pursuit of how I treat and handle and regard the Word of God will have consequences for good or bad on everyone around us. And the, 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 one of the many difficult things, if you will, in the flesh standpoint with, with living the Christian life is, is that our walk with Christ is not results-oriented. Here's what I mean by that. You can do everything right and get bad results, and then some. you can do everything bad sometimes wrong, and, and you don't, you think, why is that? You look through Proverbs and the Psalms, they're saying, why are the wicked? We, we don't live by, by the horizontal. We don't live by that. The, the unfortunate mark of living in a fallen world is that just that, you can do everything right and not get the results that you wanted. You can do everything wrong and then seem like not get the results that they deserved. But we don't, we don't live by that rule. Biblical, biblical success is measured in faithfulness. And that's where Jonah failed. Faithfulness. It was faith, he was not faithful to the Word of God. Success for the believer is faithfulness to the Word of God. You can look at 1 Corinthians 4. You can look at 1 Corinthians 3. It says you are a steward of the mysteries of God's grace. We are stewards of the gospel. Our job is to be faithful with that gospel, the good news, the reality of who Jesus is and what He did for us. And, and just like Jonah, God has offered us something amazing 
to go and be reconcilers of a lost world to a holy God. That's the mission that God offered Jonah. And he turned his back on it. It's the same mission in 2 Corinthians 5 that God has offered us. You have been given a ministry of reconciliation. I mean, who would not want to see hundreds of thousands of people repent and turn to Christ? And Jonah turns his back. And yet the sad thing is, is every day I will bet you and I turn our backs on people who need to hear the gospel as well. Individually, every day I bet we turn our backs on them. And that's why I've said over and over, as I read this book, it's a struggle because I'm Jonah. I see a lot of me in Jonah. And Jonah was missing the blessing of being used by God to do something amazing. If we're not careful, we will, miss, we will turn our backs on God and His Word and miss out on the greatest adventure that we could ever be a part of, and that is living a life of faith and trusting God. God reconciling a lost world to Himself. A life of faith. And Jonah is exchanging this opportunity for something else. He's exchanging it. And, and he's chasing his own mission instead of the mission that God had given them. And the challenge for us is to not to do the same. Don't exchange your own mission for God's mission. Don't exchange what God has called us to do for your own. We, we're commanded in the Word of God, Matthew 5, to let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they will glorify and honor your Father. It's not optional. He says, let your light shine before men. People around us suffer when we don't let our light shine, when we refuse to let our light shine, like God commands people around us pay the price, and we pay the price. I mean, in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Tarshish, just understand this, Jonah could not have gone further in an opposite direction from Nineveh than Tarshish. 1,500 miles he went the opposite direction. Jonah's attempt is to put as much distance between where God told him to be, and where he wanted to go as possible. That was his motive. And when you look at that, that's really a, a, a surprising reaction for a prophet. I mean, we have, no, we have no indication here that anything else in Jonah's life was out of whack to cause this response. Yet the reality is this, when we refuse to submit to God's Word, it skews everything else in our life. You don't just sin in isolation over here. It affects every area of your life. Jonah had a heart problem and it was affecting his life. And many areas of our life can line up with the Word of God. He was a prophet. Many areas of our life can line up with the Word of God. But if we refuse to submit to God's Word in even one area, it skews everything. And I'm not talking about legalistic obedience. I'm saying when you know there's sin in your life and you refuse to deal with it. You refuse to address it. It affects every other area of your life. And last week we, we, we looked at Nineveh and how nasty they were. And I, and I asked the question, who or what is your Nineveh? Today I want to ask you this question. Is there anyone, maybe more than one, 
But is there any area of your life that you know doesn't measure up to the Word of God and you refuse to deal with it? Any area of your life that you know does not line up and you simply just think it's okay. It's not hurting anybody. Maybe it's private. You might be the only one that even knows about it. So you think. Is there? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, maybe it's something you do in private. Maybe it's something you look at. Maybe it's something you're reading. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a sacrifice that God's asking you to make. Maybe it's a service opportunity that you know God wants you to do and you refuse to submit to it. Is there any area of your life that you know isn't where God wants it to be? The challenge that we learn from Jonah is don't minimize it. It's sin. Don't run from it. You can't. Because if you don't deal with it, it will have impact on everyone around you. Not only your walk, but everybody is around you. And, and sin, sin at its core, at its core, sin is saying no to God in any way, shape, or form. It is saying no to God. It is a refusal to submit. And, and the scary reality is when compared to others, Jonah's life probably looked good. Jonah's life probably looked good. But yet there's this area of his life that's affecting everything else. And the reality is this, we don't measure ourselves by other people. We measure ourselves according to the Word of God. And certainly Christ has, in dying on the cross, He says it is finished. He has fulfilled the law. He has imputed into us the righteousness that we couldn't earn. But then He says, go live up to that. And the challenge is we as Christians can have areas of our lives that we know don't measure up to that, what God has declared us to be. But how do we deal with it? J.D. Greer had this quote. I think it's there on your handout. You are never farther from God than when you're close to Him and say no. Jonah was a prophet. And he says no to God. You could be very faithful here and say no to God. That's the scary reality. And disobedience to God's Word is saying no to God and His Word when you, know it's, when you know that's what He's commanded us to do, it's saying no. And it has dramatic effects. And, he, and here's what we learned from Jonah. This is, I, I necessarily couldn't have planned it this way, but we just finished a series on decision-making and the will of God, and we looked at 1 Corinthians 10.31 and Romans 12 and these passages. And, and, and it's interesting you follow that up with, with the book of Jonah. And, and look what you see here. here here's the reality, what you learn here from Jonah. Satan will, when you want to disobey God, Satan will always make sure it's convenient for you to disobey God. He will make sure it's easy for you to disobey. Here's, here's what I mean by this. Jonah wanted to flee. Guess what? There was a boat waiting on him. He sticks his hand in his pocket. Oh, the fare is there. He's got the fare. He can pay for it. Wow. There's a group of men on the boat that are willing to accept me. Wow, that circumstance is nice. All the circumstances just kind of lined up for Jonah to disobey. And, and sometimes that's how we try to decipher God's will. Circumstances. Oh, I, I had a peace about it. Jonah's at the bottom of the boat asleep. You want to talk about peace? 
Jonah had a peace about it. If you look at the you look at the original language, he was in a deep sleep. A deep sleep. My point is this if you want to disobey, there will be opportunities to disobey. If you want, if you if you want to get out of your marriage, trust me. There will be somebody waiting on you to help you get out of that marriage. If you want to, to, to fall short of God's commands on any area, trust me, Satan will make sure there's an opportunity to do that. He will make sure of it. So, so just because the circumstances lined up or the opportunity was there or, or whatever, oh, God wants me to be happy. Jonah was happy. Wasn't where he should have been though. He's so happy he's sleeping as good as he can sleep. And not only that, I said it, but a piece. I, if I had a dollar for every time somebody was doing something they shouldn't have done and they said they had a piece about it, well, that just seals the deal right there. You've got a piece about it. By all means, keep doing it. My point is, it might be right because you have a piece about it, but it might not. Jonah's asleep. He couldn't have been more comfortable with what he's doing. But it didn't mean he was right. Jonah had open doors. Didn't mean it was right. Jogam has circumstances. They all lined up. Didn't mean it was right. Look, look with me at 2 Corinthians 11 and you'll see my point here. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. Paul writes, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. The word disguise there literally means masquerade. Satan walks around with this little mask on, not appearing to be somebody that he actually is. He pretends to be an angel of light. He pretends to look good. It pretends to be an opportunity you should take. Satan, here's the deal. If you want to run from God, there will always be an opportunity waiting for you. Satan will see to it. And, and we see that in Jonah. All the circumstances lined up. But Jonah has a heart problem. Jonah treats the Word of God lightly. He turns his back on it. And not only he suffers, but everyone else around him is suffering and paying the cost. And, and that will be the same thing in our life. When we treat the Word of God lightly, there will be consequences. Look, You look at verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind. The Lord allowed the lot to fall on Jonah. The Lord appointed a fish. Even This is the beautiful thing. This is where the grace comes in. And I don't ever want to... I, I, I want to I make sure we understand the grace... Even in our sin, even in Jonah's sin, even in our sin, God was gracious in how He dealt with Jonah. Ultimately, this was done in the Gospel. It was done at the cross. God sent Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we could be the righteousness of God. He sent Jesus Christ to deal with our sin. Ultimately, finally, but, but, but in our own lives individually, God also deals with the sin with grace. Look with me at Hebrews 12, verses 7 through 11 real quick and we'll close. Hebrews 12, verse 7. 
It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed good to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God did that exact thing to Jonah. He dealt with Jonah with grace, even in his sin. And God's discipline, He's going to do it in your life as well. And God's discipline to His children will always be seasoned with grace and redemption. God desires to reconcile the world to Himself. And He did it in the cross ultimately. But as you walk, believer, when you turn your back on the Lord, there will be discipline. There will be discipline. There will be consequences. But they will be seasoned with grace And they will be redemptive. And at the cross, God sent His Son to pay the penalty that all of our sins deserved. The whole world. His death, burial, resurrection, sin is conquered, death is conquered, done away with. Through through faith alone, we can have forgiveness of our sins. And I pray that everyone here has, has called upon the name of the Lord and asked them to please forgive them of their sin. And we're going to have a time of, of invitation, but, but it's through Christ's blood being applied to your own life that you can be saved from your sin. But yet, the problem is we still sin. Even as believers, we sin. And God will discipline that sin. But don't sin willy-nilly. Don't sin casually. Don't be like Jonah and just turn your back on the Word of God. There, there will be consequences. Not only for you, but all those around you. And what did Romans 12, I mean Hebrews 12, 11 said, God disciplines us to bring forth the righteousness. Romans 2, 4 says, Do not think lightly of God's kindness and tolerance, knowing that it leads you to repentance. God's desire was to bring Jonah to repentance. And some of you may be going through a storm right now, and God's desire is for you to repent. Some of you may be dealing with the consequences of other people's sins. And again, God's desire would be for that believer to repent. If you're here and do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's desire would be for you to set aside yourself and to fall upon the cross. God will discipline, but with love, and and its goal for all of it will be repentance. Repentance. And the challenge for us that we see from Jonah is don't go on sinning, believer. Don't be casual about your sin. There are consequences. Satan will want you to think it's in private. It's not hurting anybody. It, that is a lie. That is a lie. Your sin hurts you. It hurts the Father. And it hurts people way beyond you ever imagined. Sin has consequences. When we treat the Word of God lightly, there will be consequences. You can take it from Jonah, you can take it from Israel, and I bet if we looked at our own lives, you could learn that lesson from our own lives as well. Sin has consequences. 
And I pray that we as a people would be conduits of God's blessing. That people from being around us would get the overflow of God's blessing in our lives. That they would sense the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ, instead of us being conduits of discipline. Like Jonah. I I pray that none of us live lives where there are people around us and the ship is getting rocked all over the place and it's solely because of something in our life where we've treated the Word of God lightly. And I pray that we will take it from Jonah. Our sins affect everyone. Affect everyone. Don't be like Jonah. Be like your Savior. See, Jesus Christ, you'll notice in the Gospels, Jesus Christ was once asleep on a boat. And a storm came. And they woke Him up and He calmed the storm. And Jesus is teaching them, I'm greater than Jonah. Their minds would have gone back to that. And Jesus is saying, I'm greater than Jonah. Matter of fact, no matter what it is you're going through, I'm about to head to the cross and I'm about to pay the penalty of the sins of Jonah. But not only that, I'm about to pay the penalty of the sins of the whole world and Jesus Christ did that out of obedience to His Father. And through Jesus Christ, the whole world had the opportunity to be saved. You could be like Jonah, or you could be like your Savior. And it's your choice. But it's all going to boil down to the way you regard and the way you treat this Word. If you treat it lightly, there'll be fruit from that. If you treat it with high regard, there'll be fruit from that.